Well, hi, my name is Patrick Schwenk, and I am so thankful that you are listening in with me today at Root Like Faith. It is our deepest desire to encourage and equip men and women to be rooted in God's Word, transformed by the love of Jesus, and moved by His mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is more important. Well, today I'm excited because we have another special guest. He's the author of a book that I read about a year ago that had a real impact on my life, and I can't wait to share with you today's episode and introduce you to our guest. So let's get started. Well, my guest today is Dr. John Mark Miravelli. Uh, Dr. Miravelli received his pontifical doctorate from the Regina Apostolorum in Rome and is associate professor of moral and systematic theology at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland. He's the author of several books, including one in particular we'll be discussing today called Beauty, What It Is and Why It Matters. His debates with noted atheists on the topics of God's existence, theistic morality, and same-sex marriage are available on YouTube, and he and his wife have six children. John Mark, welcome to Root Like Faith. Thanks so much, Pat. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited uh, to talk with you today and for our listeners to uh, to hear more about your book, uh, you know, as we were talking before uh, we started recording this, I, I was listening to an interview, um, you know, by you uh, here in Ann Arbor. I was headed to the store and, and was listening to the radio and heard an interview where you were talking about uh, your book that I think was was uh, just out um, at the time. And, and again, it's called uh, Beauty, What It Is and Why It Matters. And I was so struck by the interview that I literally pulled my car over and mm-hmm. uh, jotted down your name and jotted down the name of the book so that I could order it later. And and that's what I did. I ordered it and began reading it. And it has been such a good book. Um, And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And as we were talking before, I've, uh, you know, recommended it to to numerous people over the last year. And so again, thank you for, for the book. I think one of the things that, that really struck me as I was reading it, I had friends in the past that would talk about beauty and we're going to be talking about um, the role of beauty and how God uses beauty in the life of a believer and, and just, uh, you know, what beauty does, um, you know, in us and how that uh, is used by God for our own transformation or spiritual formation. But I had friends in the past that talked about beauty and I don't know that I understood it. Um, and so I, I think that when I read your book, it was like the light bulb went on for me. And, um, and I also discovered that really this idea of beauty, this topic is, is something that has been talked about and discussed in church history for a long time. I mean, there's just a really deep um, you know, history here, uh, tradition here with yeah. great minds that have, have thought um, about and talked about the role of beauty that I honestly was, was pretty oblivious to. And so as we get started today, uh, you just talk about what is beauty. I mean, when we talk about that idea, what is beauty and, and why does it matter? Well, there's about as many definitions of beauty as there are philosophers of beauty. So this is just my little effort to try to sort of synthesize uh, the, the tradition, particularly the, the Christian tradition. But my little effort to summarize the nature of beauty is to say it's a combination of order and surprise. So order is when something is the way it's supposed to be. It conforms to its nature. And surprise is when we realize that this is still not obvious. It surprises when our mind is grabbed by something that is fresh, that is new, that is not necessary. So the the best example I can come up with just on a day-to-day basis is uh, when your kid takes their first steps, that's beautiful. Why? Well, it's orderly because kids are supposed to walk. Humans are supposed to walk. That's that's that conforms to our nature as human beings. 
And yet, somehow, somehow, you're never ready for it. When your kid walks, when your kid yeah. smiles the first time, when your kid says the first word, it blows you away, right? And you call your spouse. He walked. He took his first step. <laughs> and they say, well, yeah, what'd you expect? It was, you know, they're a human being, right? Humans walk. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I can't even believe it. I'm just so amazed. <laughs> that's that's beauty. It's when we are amazed at things being the way they should be. Yeah, that's that's really good. I. You know, I, I think about after I read your book, and and again, you, like you're saying, you, you talk about the idea of, of beauty being both orderly and surprising, and and then art, really. I mean, that that's built into um, the way things are. It's built into creation. That you see that at the very beginning of of the scriptures, Genesis one, Genesis two, and then in so many ways, then art mimics creation. Am I am I describing that correctly? Yeah, exactly. So I, I would say that order expresses intelligence and surprise expresses freedom so order shows that something has been organized by by something thinking and the fact that something is surprising or not necessary shows that freedom is also at work so the way god builds the world expresses his intelligence and his freedom and that's really clear in genesis 1. yeah and then the way we sort of approach our lives and particularly manufacture pieces of of beauty of, of what we call fine art is also expressing our nature has images of God that is has intelligent and free beings. So it really connects us to our origins in the divine. Yeah, yeah, and, and I know we're going to get to this, but I, you know, you you mentioned creation, you mentioned you know natural beauty, and and of course the fine arts. I mean, you think about that how that gets fleshed out, and whether it's a a narrative, a, a story, uh, or a movie, or or music. I mean, you just see that then in, in all different um, forms of of beauty or artistic expression. Um, I think for most people, you know, natural beauty or, or creation is probably the easiest uh, example of this uh, or what you're describing. It's sort of the the one that we, you know we've all sort of stood at the base of a mountain um, or you know on the shore of of the ocean and and felt. Um, small, or we, we've been sort of in awe of, of God's power or his strength. Um, but how does then God use beauty, um, you know, really to, to change us or to bring about virtue or to transform us? Yeah, so I, I would say, again, the first thing which you see, of course, all through the Psalms and, and through the Christian tradition is God God uses the beauty of nature to communicate with us, right? I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's his first work of art. And we, we see his hand, right? And again, like I said, that the believers have always honed in on this. That and, and, and actually, you know, it's really interesting that science comes out of the Judeo-Christian world because what science needs to believe is that the universe is orderly. Otherwise, why would you try bothering to understand it? But you also have to believe that the order of the universe is, in a sense, gratuitous. It doesn't have to be exactly this way, which is why you have to go out and do experiments. You can't just sit down with pen and paper and figure out the way the natural world is. So all that's to say that everything that we relate to, every way we relate to nature presupposes God. And if you don't have that presupposition, so for instance, one of the guys I debated, uh, he's an atheist, and he sort of, in a sense, refuses to see the intelligence and freedom behind the natural world. And because of that, he loses not just the connection to God, but even the appreciation of the beauty of nature. Yeah. It's like it's like going to a great painting and refusing to see anything but the chemical properties in the paint, refusing yeah. to see the meaning. So that would be the, the first thing. And we'll talk a little bit m- maybe more at the end about how I believe nature is the bedrock level 
of of opening oneself up to the divine peace and delight that it was designed to give us. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's so good. I know in the book, um, you know, you make the point that we were made for beauty. Um, you know, what do you mean by that? I mean, just sort of explain what you mean by that, and, and how does that look then in the Christian life? So a couple a couple points. Um, one is by saying we were made for beauty, it's similar to saying that we were made for truth and goodness. So yeah. one 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 way of understanding the human soul is by its faculties. So we have an intellect. Well, that was made to know being, to know reality, and ultimately to know God. And when we know reality, that's called truth. So our minds were made for truth. Our will is is the next faculty, and that's made to choose the true and to choose reality insofar as is fulfilling and the ultimately fulfilling reality is God. So we were made for truth. We were made for goodness. But we don't just have intellect and will. We also have this thing called feelings, this faculty called passions or appetites or emotions. And we were made to engage the ultimate realities with our feelings, too. We were made to delight, for instance, in God. And that's what beauty does, is beauty allows our feelings to delight in spiritual and ultimately divine reality. So we weren't just made to engage God with our mind. We weren't just made to engage God uh, with our will. We were made to engage God and, and the goodness that he has created with our feelings. And that's what beauty allows because that surprise factor allows us to thrill at the surprising goodness of God and what he has done. Yeah, I think, um, I think you talk about in the book, this, in this, I believe is a quote from your book, that beauty draws a person towards immaterial truth and goodness. Yes. Um, so beauty makes us long for higher things, which motivates us to pursue higher things, which leads to our ultimate fulfillment. That's right. We, we, we can delight in what is below us, which is fine, or we can delight in what is above, above us, which, which is better and more crucial. And beauty is what allows that to happen. Beauty yeah. is where we say we, we see the spiritual coming in through material manifestations and, and we delight in it. Yeah. Let, let me move on. Um, you know, kind of along those same lines when you talk about, um, you know, again, beauty, beauty being both orderly and surprising. Um, but briefly disca- describe, you know, what you mean in particular, how, how that relates to the, to the Christian life. I know, you know, we were talking earlier about there's a, a section in the book, I think it's on page 35, where, where you talk about that, that idea um, and sort of expanding upon a, a quote by G.K. Chesterton uh, where he says, you know, keep the commandments but break, break the conventions. Yeah. Um, so talk about that a little bit because I loved that. I mean, I love the whole book, but that, that section there um, was so powerful to me, this idea that, that, you know, beauty has a role in us. It transforms us. It changes us. Um, but talk about that in particular, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let me talk about two things. First that, and then I'll talk about what to avoid. So when, when, when we use the faculties of the soul to pursue their proper object, which is ultimately God and, th- and godly yeah. things, uh, we become more like them, right? So pursuing discipleship with Christ, we become yeah. more like Christ, etc. So what does it mean to pursue beauty and to become more like beauty? Well, if beauty is orderly and surprising then presumably we should become more orderly and surprising. And and the yeah. best formula I ever found is from, as you say, Chesterton, for what does it what does a person look like? What is the what is the um what's the strategy for living in an orderly and surprising way? And he says, well keep the commandments. 
If you keep the commandments, that guarantees that your lives will correspond to your nature as God made you. And that means you will be orderly. You'll you'll do and be the sort of person you're supposed to be and, and do the things you're supposed to do. Keep the commandments. It's really it's really like the rich young man, right? Jesus first says, do, do the orderly things. Keep the commandments. And now, do something surprising. Yeah. And doing something surprising means to break the conventions. It means to not be governed by any expectations other than those of the commandments. And that's what makes the saints so wonderful. Is there so? Yeah. And Chesterton points this out. I mean, how do you have saints that are so different, yep. so radically different, and yet who are all alike in that they keep the commandments? You never, you never know what a yeah. saint is going to do next, yep. even though, even though they're always living out uh, the the baseline commandments. So it's always orderly, it's always surprising, and and I do think Christians should make a checklist on both those and say, what am I doing? How do I need to keep the commandments better? Yeah, good. How do I need to break the conventions more? Yeah. How is my thinking and my lifestyle become banal and boring and typical yeah. and, um, and unexciting because we're supposed to live exciting lives of holiness. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, I just loved that that whole section in the book. And gosh, I just think about the day we're living in. I mean, that, that's relevant for for any time throughout history. Like you're saying, you, you look back at, at the saints throughout church history and, and the different ways they lived beautiful lives. And I think about just sort of what's going on in our culture and, and, and what, what an appropriate time for that type of a... So, so, so that's the second point. Absolutely. Yeah. I think... So what, for me, for me, just writing the book or, or researching, the most powerful thing was seeing the enemies of beauty. Mm. So order without surprise is being cliche, boring, thoughtless, dull, repetitive. It's it's repeating the creed every Sunday and never thinking about what it means or yeah. trying to find new insights. So you don't want to be banal and and routine and mechanical. And you also don't want to be surprising without order. Because that's pleasure and disorder. Now, I would say that many people, including many Christians, live their life vacillating between banality and disorder. So what do they do? They, they drive to work at a job that they find no meaning in, that they find dull and repetitive and pointless. And then they drive home and they Netflix binge walking, watching some disordered reality show or maybe porn or yep. some other really dysfunctional, violent, who knows what all. Yep. So we... Our entertainment is all disordered, and our work is all banal, cliche, and boring. So I really think Satan has us right now particularly enslaved to the enemies of beauty. Yeah. And breaking those bonds, I think, is going to be very important for a lot of Christians. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so true. So, so good. I just... You know, think about the idea of like just how attractive the Christian life is or can be, um, you know, when it's lived out. I just think about, um, you know, in the short time that we've lived, you know, for example, I mean, just real practically in the neighborhood that we're living in, you know, we moved to Ann Arbor to, to start a church and, mm-hmm. and in just the different ways that, that as followers of Jesus, you, you can live, like you're saying, orderly, you keep the commandments, you, you walk um, after Jesus, who's the way and the truth and the life, but yet how unconventional the life of Jesus is and, and can be, and then how attractive that can be to a culture that, that desperately needs uh, to encounter God and to know God. And so just think about you know, the, the, the many ways that, that we can live that, that orderly but also surprising life that is beautiful and compelling and attractive. 
I was going to mention, I, I, um, I think it was in the last year, maybe uh, sometime in January, February, I wrote, or I, I read the book um, called Deep Conversion, Deep Prayer, a book you're probably um, yes, familiar I have, with. I, I haven't read it, but I have, I have heard of it, and I know it's, it's very well okay. received. Yeah, it's an excellent, excellent book. And um, in, in the book, um, Dubé talks about, if I'm saying his name correctly, he, yeah. he quotes another author um, in, in essentially saying that, that truth is symphonic. And I, I love that. He, he goes on to um, talk about how, you know, uses the illustration of, you know, going to, you know, a symphony and, and the conductor and the musicians are all, you know, playing according to that original score. And, and when that's happening, when, when all of the musicians and the conductor are following the original score, you know, the experience of that is, is pleasurable. It's, it's delight. It's, it's beautiful. And yet, if a musician decides to do his or her own thing, um, it becomes, you know, pretty ugly in a moment. Um, right. And you no longer have beauty, you have noise, you have chaos. And he, he's essentially making the point that, that as is um, true for music, um, so it's true in, in the moral life or the Christian life. And, and yes. I just thought that's a great illustration. It is. And, and one of the things that has to be fought against is this really, I think, ridiculous idea that disorder or brokenness is actually somehow more profound than goodness and beauty. Uh, and again, Chesterton's very good. I mean, this is, in a sense, one of his missions is to is to make people surprised at things working right. Mm. He said, look, you know, every time the train reaches the right stop, it it should amaze us because it could have gone to any it could have gone to any stop. It could have wound up anywhere. Anytime you hit the right note when there's so many wrong notes to hit, yeah. it should it should have a peace. Peace should be surprising when everything works out right. Yep. It should astonish us. And it's it's so easy to make things go wrong, right? And, and especially, I would say teenagers are particularly susceptible to the lie that uh, cynicism, disorder, um, d d you know, disenfranchisement, that these somehow measure uh, or, or, or indicate a kind of profundity of outlook. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, they yep. don't. It's so easy. Chester says any... <laughs> Any hack poet can write a convincing description of hell, but maybe only two or three in history have written a convincing description of heaven. Mm. Because beauty, things working right, is hard. It's yeah. elegant, it's sophisticated, and it's mature. And, yeah. and, and um, indulging in brokenness is actually just juvenile. Yeah. yeah. And that's something I think that largely the art world has forgotten. Yep. And that's why we Christians need to bring it back because Christians, Christians, because of the combination of Calvary and the resurrection, Christians do happy endings right. and surprise happy endings yep. like no one can. Yep. I love that. I, I you know, it, it reminds when you were talking about that, it reminds me of, of, I think, where you, it might even be in the introduction of your book. Again, you quote Chesterton and he, you know, that, that great line where you cannot tidy anything without untidying yourself, um, yeah. which I love that. I mean, explain that um, before we, I, I want to get to some really practical ways somebody can pursue beauty um, just in their life or as a parent. How do, how do you cultivate beauty in your home or in your, in your child's life? But before that, like explain that because I loved that quote. I've shared that with other people, and it's yeah. kind of what you're talking about. It, 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 it's hard work to pursue it, it, truth and goodness and beauty, and you get messy in the process. That's right, and you have you have to make uh, you have to prioritize the type of beauty you're going to pursue, right? 
Um, there are lots of kinds of beauties. Uh, one type of beauty is an orderly and surprising interior to your home. Um, the fact that we have a lot of kids means we're not going to be pursuing that. As a <laughs> That's for so, sure. Uh, and I, I don't know about about you, but I, I know a lot of uh, fathers and husbands. They really have a hard time coming home to a messy house. I mean, they really, they really revolt from it. And 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 that's okay. Like in a sense, that just means they, they're looking for beauty and and they're not finding it. It's it's, it's a bummer. Yep. The way I make sense of it in my life is to say, well, actually. Right now, our house is our palette, and the kids are the paintings that we're trying to perfect into masterpieces. And while you're making a painting, you don't worry about keeping the palette clean. Mm. And, and, and so, too, in, in the Christian life and certainly in family life, you have to say, look, there's, there's all kinds of beauty, and, and, and the supreme one is the moral beauty of sanctity. We're, we're going to prioritize that and we're going to use physical and artistic beauty to the extent that it facilitates that process. But but that's not an end in itself. Uh, and so I, I would say that in terms of if you're pursuing one kind of beauty, you're going to often have to sacrifice another kind. And so getting the priority straight before yeah. you begin that process is going to be real important. Yeah, yeah. That's excellent. Let's um, let me ask you one one last question that that really relates to I think just some practical examples of how somebody pursues beauty. And you kind of touched on it with that with that last response, but you know, just as I think about um, you know those that are that are listening, whether they're a you know they're a college student at the University of Michigan or maybe a mom who's who's home with their kids or, um, you know, a family with, with kids that are grown. I mean, or, or, you know, the, the single person that is in their thirties, forties, fifties, that's listening. Like, what does it look like for, for somebody to begin pursuing beauty, cultivating beauty? Like, how does that, that look very practically in the life of, of a Christian? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll give just two suggestions. But but before I give those two suggestions, let me pull back and talk about the two virtues that you need primarily for, yeah, for yep. beauty. So the first virtue you need is you need fortitude. You need um, the willingness to sacrifice and to strive, to persevere in cultivating an appreciation of beauty. Because as we just said, beauty, beauty is not as easy as either disorder or banality. Beauty is hard. It's hard to keep that combination of things working the way they're supposed to and yet being astonished at the rightness of it. That's tough. So that requires a lot of perseverance, which means you're going to have to discipline yourself to do this, okay, to pursue it. And I'll talk about one one way to do that. Well, actually, I'll talk about it now. So the, the, the first resolution that it will take some fortitude to uh, carry through on is I would, because because nature is the elemental form of beauty uh, in the world that is accessible to human beings, I would recommend at least every Sunday for 15 minutes, get a hot drink and go outside and be still. Mm. Just be still and appreciate the goodness of what God has made, the, the yep. order and the surprise in your backyard or at a park or whatever. So that would be that would be my first recommendation develop that discipline of appreciating beauty. Because if you can't appreciate God's beauty, whose beauty can you appreciate? Yep. That's point one. Point two is the other thing you need for beauty is you need self-restraint. Because if you indulge in wild stuff all the time, and if you overstimulate your eyes and your ears, 
then it will make it that much harder to be surprised. Just like if you're eating, um, let's let's take your favorite meal. If you eat it every single day for a month, you'll, you won't be surprised at it anymore, yeah. right? Because you've exercised no restraint. So we have to exercise more restraint with our eyes and ears. So here's my other suggestion, a suggestion for temperance. This is the negative side of cultivating beauty. I would recommend that on Friday, on the day of the Lord's Passion, people make a resolution to not watch any video, not on their phone, not on their computer, uh, not on their TV. Go a day without watching artificially sped up experience yeah. so that you can more slowly appreciate the natural rhythm of, 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 of the beauty that God's established. So those two, I would 15 minutes a day on Sunday in nature, in quiet, and every Friday, no video. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, uh, one of the things I think that that was so profound for me when I read your book, I, I had been um, diagnosed with a type of blood cancer back in January of oh 2018, which I, I know we hadn't really talked about that um, before. And it wasn't long after that. I, th I think I was uh, post transplant. I had two stem cell transplants at the University of Michigan in 2000. Yeah, I guess it was July and then October of, of 2018. It wasn't long after that. I think I came across your book. And I think what was interesting for me during that time is I, as I read that and, and I, you know, I began to go outside and part of my recovery, part of getting better again was just going out and walking. And yeah. in the combination of that discipline of just going out and walking and, and, you know, we live in Michigan, there's lots of tree it's a beautiful yeah. state and just what you had shared. I mean, some of those things in the book and some of the things you've just talked about, um, ministered to my soul in a way that, that I hadn't experienced before. And, and boy, what a, what a, I mean, if the church, I mean, the church offers an awful lot to the world, to the culture, um, but especially like you're saying, in, in just sort of a hyperactive, busy, distracted culture. I mean, one of the greatest gifts that the church can offer the world, um, you know, right now is, is that undistracted life, uh, that reflective life uh, of, of simply, for example, taking a walk and, and meditating on the power of God, the goodness of God, the, the beauty. And that, that for me, um, had such a profound impact on me uh, as I was going through recovery. And so I, I just, to share another sort of example of what you're talking about, yeah. that, that, that habit, that rhythm and how so, God can use that. Very, very much. So, um, Aquinas, you know, he, he distinguishes a lot of different types of feelings. Uh, and, and one of them is pleasure, right? And pleasure sort of has a, a negative connotation in the, right. in, in today's, you know, society, it, it can uh, suggest a hedonistic pleasure or something like that. But actually he says pleasure or delight, we'll call it delight, he says delight is actually the supreme passion because every other feeling is going to motivate you to do something. Right. But delight actually says, no, things are good here. Let's yep. stop a while. And of course, delight is what we're promised in heaven. Yep. And delight, delight, therefore, has this connotation with rest. If you can't rest, you can't have delight. Now, That's God right. has ordered us. It's amazing. We won't we won't be happy unless God orders us. So he says, listen, at least one day of the week, I want you to rest because without that, you cannot take delight. The discipline of beauty is the discipline of delight. And I think Sundays are a particular 
um, opportunity for all yeah. Christians to pursue that. Yep. That's great. Let, let me just sort of, I, I know I already said this is the last question, but, but along, this is sort of a, a sub question of, of the last question. Yeah, yeah, um, you're a parent of, of six kids. You know, we, we have four, our kids are, are now 18, 16, 13 and 11. So, wow. so along those same lines of what you're talking about, you know, we, we were kind of talking about, um, you know, really how do you help uh, how do you cultivate beauty in your in your own life, and what does that look like? And you shared you know several just great examples there. Um, but talk now as a parent. I know a lot of our listeners are are parents, and they've got young kids or, or kids that are maybe teenagers. And so, what does that look like within your own home or family? Like I just think about you know again the culture we're living in, where you know we're you're constantly fighting how much time do they get on on social media or in front of a TV or playing video games. There's all those kinds of, of distractions that exist today for a parent that didn't exist, uh, at least not to the same degree when, when maybe we were, were that age. And so what does it look like for a parent with, with young kids or, or teenage age kids you know, to really begin cultivating beauty or pursuing um, beauty, whether that's in, in entertainment or reading? I mean, I don't know if I'm asking that question yeah, the right no, no, way, but that's, no, let me just it's throw excellent. that out there. Yeah, excellent question. I would, I would again. I don't really have anything too original, but I can just share sort of what's what what's been helpful for us. Yeah. Uh, so again, the one is it's it's a constant battle against the screens. Right. Uh, again, indulgence in overstimulation of the senses makes it impossible to appreciate beauty. I'm going to say yeah. that again. Yep. Indulgence in overstimulation of the senses makes it impossible to appreciate beauty because you can no longer be surprised. Yeah. So I, I know it's a fight. I would just say on the negative level, keep fighting that fight yep. because they need help developing that type of restraint. And then on the positive side, yeah, I just think so. I mean, I, I have a bit of a music background. We do a lot of music as a family, do a lot of instruments, mm. uh, but, but probably more basically, Shutting down all the TVs and, and reading novels. I mean, we, yeah. my wife and I, it, it's, it's the only form of beauty that we can sort of all come together and experience together. Mm -hmm. And again, I know this is not original. A lot of people uh, recommend that. But, but there are so many gorgeous stories. I've had so many great experiences. It is amazing when I shut a book and none of my kids talks or moves for mm, a while. Yep. That's an amazing thing. They are resting in the beauty. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. So I do recommend finding beautiful, good stories to read as a family. Is it hard? Yes. Do the older kids fight against it? Of course. But boy, the payoff is like nothing else for our for our family. Yeah, that's great. I, I would just second that. I know our kids, fortunately, our kids love to read and we've kind of encouraged that, you know, as they were younger and, and they've just sort of carried that um, now into their teenage years and we'll go to bed and just read. Um, and, and, you know, we've done um, that as a family as well. And we've, I've had, you know, other friends say that every, every child should learn an instrument. And I, I love that. I, you know, I think our some of our kids um, have not yet learned an instrument, but several of our, our kids have those kinds of things that you're talking about that um, are, are so good for a child in terms of cultivating the, the right kinds of longings and affections and are, are pointing a child's heart to, uh, to truth, to goodness and, and to beauty. Yeah. And so just love, love those examples. Well, thank you again um, for this conversation. I, again, I, I, 
I want to personally thank you for the book. And again, there's still parts of that I'm trying to get my mind around and I just have, have loved it and appreciated it. It's been uh, something that the Lord has used in, in my own life as I was sharing um, just in, in so many different ways over the last year, year and a half as I went through cancer treatment. And I know our listeners are going to greatly uh, benefit from from our conversation today. So thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Oh, thank you so much, Pat. Praise God. I mean, I tell you, you do a project like this, it's kind of on a whim. And then, yeah. you know, the Lord, the Lord does, you know, stuff. <laughs> and I really appreciate your, your testament to his work. Yeah, I'm glad you persevered in it. As um, always, uh, you can go to our show notes on rootlikefaith.com forward slash podcast. Uh, we'll pro- provide a, a full bio uh, for Dr. Miravelli's, um, uh, you know, different writings and, and also where you can follow him on YouTube, as well as info on the book that we've been talking about, Beauty, What It Is and Why It Matters. And then you can also follow us on Instagram uh, Pat- at Patrick W. Schwenk and at Ruth Schwenk or on Facebook. And as if I don't say it enough already, we are thrilled that you are joining us and we welcome you into our family here at Root Like Faith. And so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. 